The following message was recorded Wednesday, January 10, 2024. Pastor Ritt continues our study of the book of Ezekiel. Tonight he covers chapter 37 verses 1 through 28. And now, here's Pastor Ritt. So we've been in the 37th chapter of Ezekiel. The first 20, 24 chapters of Ezekiel dealt with the judgment of Israel, and more specifically the judgment of Judah, because the northern kingdom of Israel has already been judged, hasn't it? Now, the, why was there a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom? After Solomon's reign, they split into two kingdoms. When was that? Yeah, 931. 931 B.C. is when that actually occurred. It split into two kingdoms, and you had Rehoboam, which is, he was the descendant of Solomon, and he ruled in Judea. And then you had Jeroboam. Jeroboam was an Ephraimite, and he ruled in Israel. Yes, Samaria was the, was the ancient capital of Israel, but he ruled in the northern kingdom of Israel. And then from there on, what a glorious path Israel took, eh? <laughs> Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. What did he do? He caused Israel to sin how? The golden calf and the idolatry that he brought. Idolatrous worship. It just, you know, even in Solomon's day, the, the apostasy began, didn't it? That falling away from the true faith. And it just had gotten worse and worse and worse. And we made the uh, observation Sunday night. For those of you who are here Sunday night, think back now. We said that in the ancient Israel, with the northern kingdom of Israel or the southern kingdom of Judah, the kingdoms continually began to get weaker and weaker and weaker and weaker. Why? Because of the rebellion against God, because of their idolatry. But their enemies, the northern kingdom of Syria, the southern kingdom later on Babylon, their enemies continued to become And we see that even happened during Jesus' time, didn't it? Yeah, they were gone back into the land after the captivity, after the 70 years. They rebuilt the temple, but the idolatry never left them completely, no. And we see that in Jesus' day, it was just a religious community that had a religious front, but it was a political organization just desiring power and money and prestige. And the situation became worse and worse. But over time, Israel, Israel and Jesus, they became weaker and weaker and weaker, more and more apostate. But her enemy, who was the enemy of Israel at that time? Rome. And Rome became stronger and stronger. Now, we made the observation, or at least I did, that God is the same yesterday, today, and, and, and his methods don't change. Now, we had a glorious beginning, and what, what potential, what a tremendous potential we have as a nation and as a people when our forefathers, foremothers came here wanting to have a place where they could worship God in truth and in spirit, free from any state-mandated church, but we became and weaker and weaker, and it's pretty pathetic how weak we've become, isn't it? Economically, are we in, are we in the trouble? Economically, oh, we are. How many, how many, how many trillions of dollars are we in debt? Thirty-five trillion, thirty-five plus 
Do you, you know what that debt, that indebtedness is for every single individual? It's, it's outrageous. Financially, socially, oh, aren't we a strong people socially? Oh, we're such a divided house, aren't we? And the decadence, the moral freefall that we're in, it's unbelievable. Spiritually, the spiritual house of America, oh boy, it's grumbling, isn't it? Yeah, the poor, poor examples of what is supposed to be pastoral leadership or, or clergy in this country, it's, it's, it's disgusting. It is, isn't it? Yeah, uh, politically, huh. the corruption has never been more pervasive. It's, it's never been more blatant, never been more in our face. I said the one thing that your Trump presidency did was expose all this corruption. We wouldn't have known the half of it if he didn't get elected. But I, I, I still don't think we know the half of it. You know, I think it's far worse than what we believe. Militarily, we've never been, oh, it's terrible. Is it not true? Is this, now think about this. Is this not all true? Okay, conversely, how about our enemies? China's stronger than they've ever been. Yeah, they have their problems. Sure they do. But they're stronger than they've ever been. What about Russia? All those sanctions had their effect. We brought Putin to his knees, didn't we? No. The fifth largest economy in the world since the invasion of Ukraine because their friends in China, North Korea, Iran have all gathered together to help support them. And, and, and who's become weaker as a result of it? And we've hurt our allies, our European friends, our international partners, as they would say, right? What, do we, 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 what have we done to Germany as a result of all of this? And yet Russia has been strengthened, and now 30% oh, of their budget has gone to, res to resupply their military? It's unbelievable how we have strengthened emboldened our enemies, but weakened ourselves and our own nation. What about our borders? Safe borders? Hmm? It's unbelievable. It's, what border? It's unbelievable. It's coming across and coming into the country now. Now, how do you understand all of this? Spiritual. It's spiritual. God has allowed it. Why? Because look, like Israel of old, we've turned our back on God. Oh, we're a religious people, but we're not spiritual. We're not looking for holiness and righteousness, are we? No, 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 no. But as a result, we're going to be judged. I believe, personally, I believe we're under God's judgment even now. Many indicators make that pretty clear. But here, Israel. Israel was under God's judgment. The northern kingdom at this point, right, 931, they split up. Jeroboam was the leader of the northern kingdom. And the kings in the north, how many good kings do we have there? Zero. None. Not one. And they got worse and worse and worse, till finally you had Ahab and Jezebel, right? Oh, boy. Now, God allowed the Assyrians to come in, a people far worse than they were. The Assyrians, far worse than the Israelis were in the northern kingdom. But yet he used them as his rod of judgment to punish them. And they were carried away into captivity. When was that? 721, 721 BC. Now, for 150 years, Judah should have said, hey, we should learn by from historical situations, right? We always learn from history. What's the one thing we learn from history? We don't learn anything. And it repeats itself over and over and over. 150 years later, God is going to judge Judah, the southern kingdom, because they constantly digress, constantly rebelled against the Lord. And then the last king, what was his name? Zedekiah. What happened to him? 
Yeah, he was the last king to reign in Israel. He was put there by the Babylonians, but then he rebelled against them, trying to align himself with the Egyptians. And Nebuchadnezzar came in, and the final siege of Jerusalem in 586 B.C. destroyed the temple, carried away the royal family and everyone who was part of his administration. Of those he didn't, he didn't kill, he carried away. The only people he left in the country were the poor, the very, very poor. And they were left there to fend for themselves. And who else was left there with the poor? Jeremiah. Jeremiah. And where did they flee, thinking they were going to be saved? Egypt. Egypt. And what happened in Egypt? <laughs> the Northern come through, and, and they murdered Jeremiah down there, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah. But here, here's the point I want to make. Now, Zedekiah, the last king, Nebuchadnezzar got all of his family, all of his sons together. Uh, he was reigning there in the plain where they set up a temporary throne for Nebuchadnezzar. And he murdered all of his sons in front of his eyes. And then the last thing he did was gouge out his eyes. So the last thing he saw was the destruction of his own sons in the line of what royal line? David. David. The nation is gone. The people are gone. The temple is gone. The king and the royal line is gone. All hope is lost. That's, this is the backdrop. What do you think the people who are being who are in captivity are thinking at this point? Now, now, Jeremiah told them, rightfully so, settle down, you're going to be here a long time. Build yourself a life. Build houses. Give your sons away to, to the daughters in marriage. Give the daughters away to their sons in marriage. They didn't want to believe that. But then after some period of time, they had to face reality, didn't they? Yeah. Our unrealistic expectations or desires, our wants, come crashing down on the racks of reality, don't they? And, and unfortunately, there's too many people with still these unrealistic expectations of, of what they believe God is going to do. I, I'm always amazed at what God allows to happen and what God brings about. Hmm? Now, why did he do all of this? Because of their sin. But as we've been getting into the, now from chapter 25 to chapter 34 or so, we have the judgment of the surrounding nations of Israel. Now, God is redirecting his attention to Israel again. The first 24 chapters were judgment against Judah, against Israel. Uh, they, from 25 to about 34 or so, judgment of the Gentile nations surrounding Israel. And then you get into that glorious chapter 36. What, what is God promising there? Restoration. Who could possibly believe that could ever happen? How can you bring back something from the dead? The nation is dead. The nation is no more. The royal line has been killed. The temple doesn't exist. Everything is in rubble. Everything is in ruin. Consider some of the pictures you see of Gaza or uh, of Syria. You know, it's just, it's just bombed to smithereens. Well, that's what they were looking at. When Jeremiah was in the grotto there, up in the grotto, looking out at, at, at Israel being destroyed, decimated by the Babylonians, his heart had to sink within him. But God's promising this restoration. Amazingly, chapter 36, God begins to say, uh, I will multiply men upon you in verse 10. Verse 11, I will multiply man and beast on you. Verse 12, I will cause men to walk upon you. Talking about what he's going to be doing. And he says, uh, let's see, uh, verse 22. Look at there for a minute, 36, 22. You there? Therefore, say to the house of Israel, say, says, thus says the Lord God, what? 
I do not do this for? No, has nothing to do with you, house of Israel. Has nothing to do with you, my people, but for my holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the nations wherever you went. And what is he going to do? I will sanctify you, verse 23. Verse 24, I will take you from the nations and gather you together. Verse 25, I will sprinkle clean water upon you and cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will put my spirit, verse 27, within you. Verse 29, I will deliver you from an uncleanness. Verse 30, I will multiply your fruit, etc., etc., etc. Verse 33, your iniquities I will also take away. Verse 37, I will also let the house of Israel inquire of me. You can seek me one now, and I will be heard from you. Isn't this amazing? Now, why is he doing all of this? Did they deserve any of this? No. What did they deserve? Nothing. Nothing. Judgment. Listen, they're walking dead men. This is what he has described. But he is going to resuscitate them. There is absolutely, listen, if you see a dead corpse, you know, if you, you, somebody goes into the, into the hospital and, and they've been shot or something, accident or whatever it might be, and, and the paramedics declare them dead, but they, they can't make that declaration until they get them to the hospital and they got a, lie, a corpse there lying on the gurney and then they declare them necros, dead, a corpse. That's Israel, dead. No hope of resuscitation. No conceivable means of restoring life back into that dead body. This is Israel. This is Judah. This is the northern kingdom. This is precisely what God is describing. And he said, now I'm going to perform a miracle. I'm going to perform a resurrection. I'm going to perform a new birth. But it's going to be for my namesake, for my great name, so that my glory, my grace would be magnified among all the world. Wow, isn't that amazing? Israel, you're so fortunate. <laughs> you are so blessed beyond conceivable measure. Obscene, you think we're obscenely blessed now, Michael? Oh, boy. Obscenely blessed. Because he did all of this. And what did they do that would cause him to want to do this? Are you sure? Because they're dead. Dead men can't do anything, can they? No, no, no. Now, verse 30, chapter 37 is the fulfillment. Ezekiel is giving a vision of the fulfillment of the restoration, of the resurrection, of the restitution of Israel, the nation. It's dead. It can't possibly survive. There's no hope. But with God, all things are possible, right? The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord. And he set me down in the midst of a valley, and it was full of bones. Oh, boy. <clears throat> in the valley. You have any valleys in your life? Have a few valleys that you thought were absolutely impossible for you to transverse, to go through? Hmm? But God is down there in the valley with us, isn't he? And who is it? What part of the Godhead is down there in the valley with us? The Spirit. And the Spirit came upon him in that hopeless estate, in that hopelessness, in that despair, in that distress, in that there is no conceivable way out of their death, their dead situation. They're in the grave. Hmm. And he said, in the midst of this valley, it was full of what? 
bones. What does that signify? Death for a, a long time. Now, there's, there's no flesh here. There's no sinew there. There's, you know, there's no blood there. You don't, you, don't, you don't see a fleshly corpse. You just see dead, dry bones. Dry bones. Now, if they're dry bones, they've been there a long time baking in that Middle Eastern sun, right? Any hope of resuscitation? Resurrection? No. But God. But God. And that's what God wants Ezekiel and the nation to clearly see. And why is he doing all of this? Because they're so wonderful? <laughs> no, because of his great name's sake. Yes, and he caused me to pass by them all, all around, and behold, and there were very many in the open valley. Indeed, they were very dry. Uh, I used to hunt a lot when I was a younger man. Actually, I hunted all up until the time I came to South Carolina. It's one of those things that the Lord just had me uh, fall away. I hope to pick it up again one day, but we'll see. Uh, but I always, I always enjoyed walking the woods, and, and especially in the fall of the year. Don't you, I love fall. Autumn is my favorite time of year. But many, many times I'd come through in the field, and, and I'd find a, a pile of dry bones. It might have been a deer's bones or a cow's bones or whatever it might have been. But, you know, those dry bones, and they got holes in them, the, the porosity, because they've been eaten by the little insects and things, getting the moan barrow. And, but it's just so dry and so brittle. I mean, they are absolutely no evidence of anything that ever lived, right? <laughs> Other than it's a bone. Hmm? And that's, that's what Ezekiel is seeing, scattered throughout this entire valley. Valley of dry bones, dead men's bones. Jesus said of those who wouldn't believe, for those who wouldn't acknowledge God in their life, he said, they are dead while they yet live. Dead. And we have a lot of walking dead now. Well, boy, isn't that what the Israelis said about the leaders of Hamas? They assassinated one earlier last week. Was it earlier this week or was it the end of last week there in, in Lebanon? This week, earlier this week. Yeah. He was one of the leaders that they assassinated and he was, thought he was in safekeeping there in Lebanon, hiding out with Hezbollah. Uh, no, but what did the commander of Israel tell all of these leaders and, and even those who are in Qatar, right? He said, you're just dead men. You're walking dead men. It's not a matter of if. It's a matter of when we get you. We're going to get you. Yeah, and that's what the case with those who don't believe. They are walking dead men. They just don't know it, right? But here, God displays this deadness, this death, this hopeless situation. In verse 3, he said to me, God is speaking to Ezekiel, Son of man, can these bones live? Now, from, from his uh, pragmatism, right? I mean, he's, the answer is, no way, no possible way, impossible. But Ezekiel is smart enough to know that with God, you know, is there anything that God can't do? No, no nothing can hinder him from doing what he desires to do. You know, uh, someone, someone said, well, look at this verse right here, Pastor. It says, Jesus came to save sinners. He came to save all sinners. I said, really? I said, then are all people saved? No. Well, then... Who can thwart God's will? So then is it God's will that everyone be saved? Boy, that's a tough question. I, I, smoke. You see the smoke? Because I can't process that. I try to. I, I have a difficult time. But I know this, that my God, there's nothing impossible for my God. And those whom God desires to save, there's no doubt about it. And he answers and says, O Lord God, you know 
That's a good thing to start with. He knows. Again, he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these dry bones, surely I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. What is this breath? I'm sorry? How do you know it's a spirit? How do you know it's just breath? Because of the word. What's the word? Ruach. Yeah, yeah. You got to roll your tongue. Ruach, Ruach, the Ruach of God. Genesis chapter 2. Go there. Yeah, you told him, yeah? Yes. <laughs> chapter 2. In chapter 2, we have uh, the creation narrative all over again. We had it in chapter 1, now we're having it in chapter 2. What's the difference between 1 and 2? I'm sorry? More detailed? Okay, but there's a, there's a different emphasis in, in two. The creation of you, of man. The emphasis in chapter two is on the supreme creation, man. Hmm? But he says here in chapter two, let's pick it up in verse uh, seven. And the Lord God formed of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of like rock. Same thing. And man became a living being. Mm. So just, just as we started out, how did we start out? Dust. With a kiss. Yeah. With a kiss. God's into mud pies. You know, he likes mud pies. Makes mud pies. And, but he has, he has a, anybody ever see that uh, Young Messiah movie? No? Nobody ever saw that? It was Jesus portrayed as a child. And when he brings this, this clay bird to life. This mud bird. No, no. Uh, and there's there another one where, where a bird was dead. He picked it up along the shore. And away it flew. You, know, you ever saw that? Okay. You know, just their Hollywood speculation. But uh, certainly God could, right? And so God took mud, right? He took the elements of the earth and water, and he mixed it all together, and he formed me. And then he had some fun, and he breathed the breath of life on me. I like to think he kissed me. He kissed me to life. Hmm? Now, what does he do here with Israel? They're dead. They're a necros. He's going to kiss them to life. The ruach, the breath of life, comes upon them. Go back to the text. Yes, verse 5. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, surely I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live. Then you shall know what? I am the Lord. How glorious it is, isn't it? You know, David closed his worship set, describing the fact that God's, God's grace is absolutely amazing. Amazing that he would be mindful of us and that he would bring us back to new life, to rebirth, to resuscitate that which was dead in me. In the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. What died? The spirit. They didn't die physically at that moment, but the Spirit died. Their union, their communion, their oneness with Christ, with God, with the Holy Spirit ended. And therefore, all of their offspring were born dead. Weren't we? From a spiritual perspective, we were born stillborn, without life, without spiritual life. Hmm? Oh, but he alone is the one. What a wonderful thing. What a gracious thing for God to be so mindful of us that he would give us of his Spirit and bring forth life from the dead when we are so undeserving 
So I prophesied, verse 7, as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a noise and suddenly a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, and sinews and the flesh came upon them, and skin covered over them, and there was no breath in them. Do you know that? Ever, you know, I've never, we've never sang that song, have we? Dry bones, you know? The dry bones song? No, no. How come? Huh? Because you don't want it. <laughs> you don't know it? Was that, was that, that's originally a Negro spiritual, right? I have no idea. You have no idea? No. I believe it is. You've got to investigate that. We should sing that next, next, next Wednesday. Let's see if we can sing that. You know, the knee bones connected to, you know, that. that. Yeah, that one, yeah. You know that one? You've, we've never sang that, have we? No, no, we never have, no. Have you ever sang that? I heard it as a kid. So did I, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm still a kid at heart, you know. <laughs> I'll sing it. <laughs> If I knew it, I'd sing it to you tonight. But anyway, wow, all of a sudden, these dry bones, they're not dry any longer. And, and miraculously, Ezekiel sees all of this flesh start to come about, this ooey, yicky, sticky flesh and sinew, and then veins and blood and corpuscles and, and skin covering it over. And, but there was no what? There's no breath yet. Hmm. Verse 9, then he said to me, prophesy to, this, to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on the slain that they may live. Who's he calling for? The Holy Spirit. There's been a miraculous, miraculous move of God, the Holy Spirit, among the Jewish people in our day. Do you understand that? Do you realize that? Yeah. I was going to ask Darren to find that 1,000 musicians little clip of them singing this song where they're calling Israel to come back, calling the Jews to come back from the nations of the world back into Israel. Anybody see that? I mentioned that before. Yeah, have you seen it? Isn't that wonderful? Yeah. First time I saw it, I just cried. I just cried, thinking about the anti-Semitism and the pain and suffering they've all been through. And now God is calling the breath. The, the spirit, the spirit of life, calling them back into the land. In the latter days, they will be gathered together from the nations from which I have dispersed them. Right? Wow. Fascinating. So that breath of life, the Holy Spirit is going to call them from all parts of the world. And so I prophesied as I, he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they lived, and they stood upon their feet, an exceedingly great army. Wow, you know, one of the things that Israel is so uh, thankful for right now and, and quite proud of, I guess would be the word, is not only has God brought them into the land, not only has, has God given them the opportunity, the ability to, to rebirth the land, to revive the land through all of the agricultural engineering that they do, uh, all of the advances that have been made in, in, in technology and medical science by the Israelis, by the Jews. It's just, it's just fascinating, isn't it? What a blessing they have been to the world. Do you know how many, how many advantages or comforts uh, that we have in our life now as a result of some Israeli who developed some technology? Your cell phone, for instance, you know? But, but even more so, what is he saying here? Huh? A great army. Dude, it's amazing. They're one of the smallest countries in the world, but one of the most powerful armies in the world. I will make you a strong army. And they are. 
Israel is feared by its enemies. Hmm. You know, we used to, who was it? Uh, Alexander Haig, remember him? Yeah. You remember what he used to say about Israel? It's the largest U.S. aircraft carrier in the Mediterranean. <laughs> you got that, didn't you? Yeah, okay. Verse 11, then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. So we don't need to wonder about what he's talking about. He, he gives us the interpretation. They indeed say our bones are dry, our hope is lost, and we ourselves are cut off. We're done. We're finished. It's over. Not so. Not so. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, O my people. Now they, they weren't his people, but he's going to make them his people through adoption once again. They've orphaned themselves from their father, right? But he's going to take ownership of them once again. What's he going to do? What's it, verse 12, what's he going to do? I will open your graves. I will bring you into the land of Israel, and then you shall know that I am the Lord. When I have opened your graves, O oh my people, and brought you up out from your graves. What? Can a nation be born in a day, Isaiah said? And when did that happen? May 14th, 1948. A nation is born in a day. A nation came back from the dead. Can you imagine them being cast out as a blessing to us? Their revival will be what? Romans chapter 11. Go there. Romans 11. That's a New Testament book, isn't it? Okay. Hmm. What does 9, 10, and 11 have to do with? The resurrection of who? Romans 9, 10, and 11. What does it have to do with? The Jews. The Jews. The Jews. He, he goes on to tell them, uh, verse 11, or chapter 11, verse 25, I did not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, at least you be wise in your own opinion, that hardening in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel shall, will be? Really? Now, does that mean every Jew? No. But Israel as a nation is going to be reborn. Now, this is what Ezekiel is prophesying, and, and, and yeah, there, there's an immediate fulfillment to this, but there's a long-range fulfillment to that in our day, and there's even a longer-range fulfillment of that in the millennial reign of Christ. But look with me at chapter 11, and what it says here, uh, verse 15, for if they're being cast away, who cast away? Is the reconciling, reconciling of the world. What does that mean? What does it mean that they're, they're casting away his reconciling of the world? What does that mean? I'm sorry? Yes, yes. That, that the Israeli rejection, Israel's rejection of their Messiah has brought about the salvation of the Gentiles. Wow. Isn't that amazing? And they're his people. They're his firstborn. Israel is called the bride of Christ in the Old Testament, the bride of, of Jehovah, Right? But the church now, Jew and Gentile, is the bride of Christ today. But then look what it continues to say. What will their, Ezekiel 36, 37, what will their acceptance be but what? 
I'm in chapter 11 of Romans, verse 15, the second half of verse 15. For if their being cast away is reconciling of the world, the salvation of the Gentiles, what does it say? What will their acceptance be but life from the dead? Wow. That's hey, that's exactly what's being described here, isn't it? Life from the dead. Now listen, nobody, you know, there were, there were a handful of theologians prior to the Zionist movement Okay, that began in, in Europe because of the persecution of the Jews that believed in any way that Israel would become a nation again. Did you know that? Just a handful of dispensational Christians. Those dispensationalists, you know, they're just so whacked out. Is that true? No. Are you a dispensationalist or are you reformed? I'm a reformed dispensationalist. So it just depends upon the subject matter. If you ask me about one particular systematic theology uh, item in systematic theology, I might be very dispensational. If you ask me about another, I might be very reformed. But I'm a reformed dispensational. Better off, I think I'm a biblicist. I believe the Bible. Do you? I don't fit in any of the round holes or square holes or, you know, I just believe the Bible. Don't you? Wow. Go to Acts chapter 3. Paul, uh, Paul, Paul, Peter's first sermon in Acts 3 makes reference to this. This coming back from the dead. Oh, I'm in Romans. I've got to go to Acts. Acts 3. Peter's first sermon. He, he, was, he was such a coward in front of that little servant girl at the fire, wasn't he? Well, why was that? No Holy Spirit. He didn't have the Holy Spirit. Oh, but what a difference when he had the Holy Spirit. Now, he, now he's, standing before, he's standing before the Supreme Court of Israel, and he's putting his finger right in there. Right, He's speaking truth to power, isn't he? Wow. What is he going to say? Look at chapter 3, uh, verse 14. You denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murder to be granted to you. You killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, this, this man that was healed at the Corinthian gate, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given this man perfect soundness in the presence of y'all. He's Southern. <laughs> Southern Baptist, for sure. Yet now, brethren, I know that you did this in ignorance as did your rulers, but those things which God foretold by the mouth of his prophets that the Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Wow. Through the death of the Christ comes the life of the church. That's what he's saying here. And it had to be. It had to be because God foretold of the suffering servant. The first suffering, the first coming of Messiah, he would suffer. But then look, look what he says now. Now he's talking to Israel, and he knows that if Israel does this, whew, game over. New world coming. Life from the dead. What does he say to Israel? Repent. Repent, therefore, be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from what? that the Father will uh, cause the Son, the Messiah, to return and establish his kingdom. All that's necessary is for the nation to repent. If the nation repents, God will restore them. What's the prescription for what ails them? Second Chronicles 7.14, right? If my people called by my name humble themselves, confess their sins, seek my face, and I will heal their land, I will turn, heal them. And this is all prophesied. 
that if they would, it would be like one coming back from the dead, but they didn't. But look, read on. Refreshing from the presence of the Lord that he may send Jesus Christ who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive. Jesus ascended, right? And that's where he is right now. And he's going to stay there until when? Until the times of restoration of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of all of his holy prophets as the world began. He's, got to, he's going to stay there until when? Until what we read earlier in Romans, until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Until the church ages, or we call the dispensation of the church age, or this age of grace is ended, and the church age is over, and God is going to restore Israel, going to bring her back to life. And the Messiah is going to return and establish his millennial reign. Now, there's going to be a little time of trouble just prior to that. Oh, but it's going to, be, it's going to finish gloriously, isn't it? Yeah. Back to Ezekiel 37. <clears throat> I will open the graves. I will cause you to come up from your graves. I will bring you into the land of Israel. Then you shall know that I am the Lord, and I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up out from your graves and I will put my spirit in you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land and then you shall know that I the Lord have spoken it and performed it thus says the Lord so that's the fulfillment of, of what he promised in not just chapter 36 but, but throughout many of the Old Testament prophets who prophesied the judgment that would come but they prophesied the restoration and why the restoration for his namesake why? Any boasting for Israel? No boasting for Israel? None whatsoever? For what? The glory of... Listen to me now. I hope you're connecting the dots. The, the glory of his sovereign grace. His election. His predestination. Predetermined. Is that all true? Is that all here? His, he never looks more wonderful, more glorious, more beautiful, more loving, more compassionate, more understanding than when grace is fully understood in opposition to our wretchedness, our lostness, our deadness. You understand? He revived me from the dead. I've been resuscitated through the Spirit of God. There was no life in me. While we were yet without strength. No spiritual inclination. Romans 5. While we were yet sinners. Sinners. While we were enemies of God. He saved us. What did we do to deserve that? Nothing. Grace. Grace. Marvelous. In Romans 6 and 7, Paul goes to great length to explain to me that I'm a slave. What am I a slave to? Sin. He, he goes to great length explaining in, that, in at chapter 6 and, and most of 7 that, that I'm a slave to sin. But God wants me to be a slave to righteousness. Is that true? Are you sure it's true? We're just having fun. I, I, you know, I don't mean to drive anything home unnecessarily. Just, I'm just giving you some of my thoughts. Slaves don't have any free will. Slave has no ability to exercise his free will. 
or her free will. Do you understand that? When you're a slave of sin, you have no free will whatsoever. You're a captive. Now, God wants you to be a captive, but he wants you to be captivated by his love. He wants you to move from being a slave to sin to a slave of righteousness. And I can bear testimony that when I was the old man, I was held captive by my sin. I had no strength or power over my sin as much as I willed not to do, I did it. And that what I, which I willed to do, I couldn't do. I couldn't find the way. Couldn't exercise my free will. Why? Slave. Slave to sin. Israel. Israel. Slave to sin. Much worse. They went into captivity. Much worse. They experienced such a terrible death. But who's bringing them back from the dead? God is. And oh, I'm, I, listen, I'm going to restore you back to your former glory and beyond. He said, no longer are you going to be a divided nation, right? Remember what happened after Solomon? A divided kingdom. You had the north and the south. Oh, boy, we still have a fight with the north and the south here, don't we? It's amazing, isn't it, how, we, how the world is so divided? Yeah, the Muslim world isn't even one, right? How are they divided? Sia and Sunni. And then if you're not the right Sunni, then they're fighting in with each other. It's just amazing how we look for ways to divide, to fight. You know, I've discovered if I'm really going to be a representative of Jesus, I need, I need to pray more for his power to love those people that hurt me, to love the people that hate me, because he did. I, I'm yet to find the way. But Lord, please help me because I want to love the people that hate me because I want to show them you. I want to show them your grace because I was his enemy. I hated him and he loved me so. Why do we love him? Because he first loved us. Yeah. So chapter 37, the last half of the chapter, we're going to talk about the reunification of the nation, right? Again, the, Lord, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, As for you, son of man, take a stick for yourself and write on it. And for Judah and for the children of Israel, his companions, and then take another stick and write on it for Joseph and the stick of Ephraim and for all the house of Israel and his companions. Okay, so you have one stick representing the southern kingdom, which he wrote on that called Judah. Judah. He had another stick writing, re representing the northern kingdom, which he called Israel or why Ephraim? What? Joseph, okay, but, but why Ephraim? Because Jeroboam, the first, that, that Ephraimite. Ephraimite. Okay, anyway. Join them together to one for yourself as one stick, and they will become one in your hand. And when the children of your people speak to you, saying, will you not show us what... You mean by these? Say to them, thus says the Lord God, surely I will take the stick of Joseph, which is in the hand of Ephraim, and the tribes of Israel, they were the majority of tribes in the north, and his companions, and I will join them with it, with the stick of Judah, and make them one stick, and they will be one in my hand. Impossible! We hate each other! That ain't happening! <laughs> we worship in Samaria, they worship in Jerusalem! Etc. And the division was so great. Can you... Oh, boy, do we not need the Spirit of God, Jesus Christ, to unify our nation today? Absolutely. Even, look at, how divided, look at how divided Christendom is. Now, the body of Christ isn't divided. 
Make no mistake about that. The body of Christ is one. I, when I go about in the, the community, in the world, when I travel, I, I, know, I know who the body of Christ is. And, and they're my brothers and sisters. We're one. We're one in our love for the Lord. We're one in our love for the Lord's word. We're one in our love for the Lord's work. We're one in our love for the Lord's people. But look at how divided Christendom is. And in Christendom, you are, you are quickly becoming enemy number one. Why? Why are you enemy number one? Be, because you, you take a fundamentalistic view of the scripture. You narrow-minded fundamentalist, right? What does it mean to be a fundamentalist? I believe all of the fundamental truths that the Bible represents. I believe the Bible. And I believe the Bible can be understood and interpreted literally in many, 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 many places. Now, the prophetic word, obviously, it's, it's not interpreted that way, literal. But the fact of the matter is, we believe that the Bible is inspired, it's, it's infallible, it's inerrant, it's authoritative. The majority of Christendom doesn't believe any of those things. You understand that? This was written by men. Who's that? Do you know who's the most popular blogger or has a blog or whatever they call those things in the world? Joe. Joe Rogan. Now, now if you listen to him, stop. He, he's perverse. The, the man is, is corrupt. And the things he says about the Bible and about Christianity and about the Lord, you know, if you listen to tune him out. But that's the most popular, popular voice worldwide. And he said, now, come on, you know this was all just written by men, and men are corrupt, and, and the word has been corrupted over time, and you can't believe or trust anything. And I, who knows what Jesus said? That's what he said. That's what the world is following. Now, listen to me. The majority of Christendom. Have you been paying attention to the apostasy, to the, to the open apostasy of the Catholic Church lately? This one cardinal down in Venezuela who's a good friend of the Pope, who the Pope made the, the, the law enforcement officer of doctrine. Anybody know what I'm talking about? No? Well, good. I Man's a sexual pervert. It's I, I can't even describe for you in mixed company. Maybe I'll tell you Saturday morning when the men. But when he wrote, this is a Catholic who became a Catholic cardinal now because he's good friends with the Pope. But he's a progressive. He's a liberal. He's a Marxist. He's a socialist at best. A Marxist at worst. Largest denomination in Christendom. Apostate. There's no doubt about that, is there? No, no. Hmm. Lord Jesus, come make us one. Remember, you know that song? Father, make us one. Right? Father, make us one that the world may know. You sent your son. The son. Father, make us one. That, that prayer's been realized, you know. Jesus prayed that high priestly prayer. Father, make us, make us one with them as we are one with another. As I am one with you, Father, make them one with us. That prayer's been realized, hasn't it? How? The Holy Spirit. We are one. Those of us who really embrace Jesus for who he truly is, the biblical Jesus, okay? 
Not the Jesus of their invention out there, right? Not the God of your understanding. Who cares what you understand? <laughs> Let me finish. I've got to go. Yes. The six, verse 20, the six on which you write will be in your hand before their eyes. Then say to them, thus says the Lord God, surely I will take the children of Israel and among the nations wherever they have gone and I will gather them from every side and bring them into their own land and I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel and one king shall be over them all and they shall no longer be two nations nor shall they ever be divided into two kingdoms again. They shall not defile themselves anymore with their idols, nor with their detestable things, nor with any of their transgressions. But I will deliver them from all of their dwelling places in which they have sinned, and I will cleanse them, that they shall be my people, and I will be their God. Have they been cleansed, sanctified, Israel? Has Israel been cleansed and sanctified? No. I listened to interview after interview of you know, what had happened to so many of those Israelis, how tragic it was. But you know, more often than not, you know what the person says? My partner. My partner. Ma marriage seems to be something that uh, a lost institution in Israel. The young people, they don't want to be married. They just, they live together. My partner. And, and, and there's a, a, a terrible situation going on in the West in that young men don't want to get married. They don't want to marry. You know. That's Israel. Israel's not been cleansed yet. Israel's not been sanctified. Israel's very secular. Don't, don't make, make any mistake. I love Israel, yes. I love the Jewish people, yes. I, I, I'm trying to love the lost, too, those who hate me. <laughs> but, but the fact of the matter is that Israel's not what it needs to be or will be, but God will do this. God is going to sanctify them. God is going to cleanse them. God's going to give them a new heart. They are a highly secular society. Abortion is on demand over there, just like it is here. And it's, it's, it's unfortunate, too many leftists are in control over there. Now, right now, they're united because they have one common enemy. But as soon as they control the situation again, if that should take place, which I don't know that's going to take place, uh, they, they would be divided once again in their ideologies and their philosophies. But now, he says, there's coming a day when they will, the two will be one again. I will make them one nation in the land, verse 22, on the mountains of Israel. And one king shall be king over them all, and they shall no longer be two nations, nor shall they be divided into two kingdoms, nor shall not defy themselves anymore. But look at verse 24 now. What? David, my servant, shall be king over them, and they shall all have one shepherd, and they shall all walk in my judgments and observe my statutes and do them. And then they shall dwell in the land that I have given to Jacob, my servant, where your fathers dwelt, and they shall dwell there, their children and their children's children forever. And my servant David shall be the prince over them. Now, he's just not speaking literally. You can't possibly believe that David is going to be king over Israel again. This is what some commentators are saying. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. If he can resurrect the valley of dry bones and become the nation of Israel again, he can bring David back from the dead. David's not dead. But he can bring David back. Do you understand that David is literally coming back? Now, prior to David coming back, there's a couple of other important personalities within Israel coming back. Who are they? Moses and Elijah. Moses and Elijah are not dead. How do we know they're not dead? How do we know they're not dead? The transfiguration. Peter, James, and John bore witness. Jesus was standing there with Moses and Elijah. How did David know it was Moses and Elijah? Moses and Elijah predeceased them by centuries. How did they know? 
Epinosis, the spirit. You know how wise you're going to be in heaven? You know, sometimes I think, man, I, I just don't. I was trying to remember somebody's name just the other day, and I'm thinking, how come I can't remember this guy's name? I know this guy. You know? It gets worse. It gets worse. And then the phone rang. Oh, it's my son. That's your name. Okay. No. No, no, but seriously, I was trying to remember somebody that I know. I've known for years. And I just, oh, but that day, do you know how much we're going to know? We will know as we are known. And they knew immediately it was Moses and Elijah. We're, we're going to know. But they're not dead. They're alive. He's not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living, right? Now, David is coming back to reign in Jerusalem. Look, at, he, he's, he stated this previously. Remember when we were in chapter 34? Or 36. Yeah, go to 36. 36, verse 23. Is that the verse I want to go to? Thirty-six twenty-three, or is it 36, 32? Let me see. Somebody find it for me. Help me. Help me. Where? Oh, here it is. It's... What did I say? 36 is 34. 34, verse 23. I had the right verse, wrong chapter. You know, sometimes you get the right address, wrong street, wrong street, wrong address. I mean, you know. Verse, yeah, 34, 23. I will establish one shepherd over them, and he shall feed them. My servant. All right, he's going to be the shepherd. Who's going to be the king? Jesus. Jesus. And he will feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David, a prince among them, and I, as I have spoken. Amazing, isn't it? There's another verse. Let's see, where was that? That I wanted to look at. Hosea chapter 3. Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea. Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea. Just the third book to the right. Chapter 3. I'm sorry? Chapter 3, verse 4, the children of Israel shall abide many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred pillar, without ephod or teraphim. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return, seek the Lord their God, and David their king in the fear of the Lord and his goodness in the... What does that mean? In the end of time, in the last dispensation. Wow. Can you imagine? You're going to get to see David. <laughs> yeah. What a unique personality. You ever, you ever go through a study with, just to look at his personality? Hmm? Verse 25, verse 26. Moreover, I will make a covenant with, of peace with them, this is with Israel, all of them, the whole kingdom is one, and it shall be an everlasting covenant with them. It's the new covenant in Christ Jesus, their Messiah sacrificed for their sins. And I will establish them and multiply them, and I will set my sanctuary in the midst of them forevermore. My tabernacle also shall be with them. Indeed, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. The nations will also will know that I, the Lord, sanctify Israel when my sanctuary is in the midst of them. Wow, what a fascinating prophecy. Isn't this chapter 37? What happened on February the 3rd, 2010? 
relative to this chapter. That's right. Benjamin Netanyahu, when he was prime minister back then, this is 2010, February the 3rd, he spoke at Auschwitz on the Holocaust Day. And he said to the entire world, he said, today, this prophecy, Ezekiel chapter 37, has been fulfilled. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Now, I'm thankful that he's the prime minister right now during this present situation, because I think he read 38 and 39, too. <laughs> you think so? Now, next, now next, this is, this is, it's so amazing to me that we're right here at this time when all of this is taking place. I tell all my unbelieving friends, I said, now listen, you don't have to believe a word I'm saying, but if you see Russia and Turkey and Iran come against Israel, get out your Bible or get under your table and put your head between your legs and kiss your butt goodbye because it's the end. <laughs> Strike that from the tape. <laughs> <laughs> is that not true? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I tell, I tell all, everybody now, I'm saying, listen, just, just watch, look, don't believe, the, if you don't believe the Bible, okay, I, can, I can't help that. I believe every word of it. What? <laughs> what did you say? <laughs> well, they'll understand it better, not back in. You explain it that way, Carolyn, they'll be, they'll be shocked. <gasps> Grandma, <laughs> she's right. <laughs> <laughs> we used to joke about that, you know, when I was a kid going in, in grade school and, and they would have these, these drills, you know, and you'd have to, nuclear attack, get under the desk, put your head between your legs, and then we'd laugh. We'd say, kiss your butt goodbye. Because <laughs> you ain't going to save you. <laughs> but anyway, anyway, we've got to be, got to have humor in life, right? Yeah. Well, I'm, one thing I can't wait to hear is Jesus laugh. You know, you got to know that Jesus had a sense of humor. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, what, what was I saying? Um, what's, what's the last thing I said? Let me walk backwards in my mind now. Let me think. Netanyahu, Netanyahu declared to the world globally that in your hearing, Ezekiel, in this day, Ezekiel 37 has been fulfilled. Now, I believe he read 38 and 39, and that's about to take place. I mean... I wouldn't be surprised if tomorrow morning I wake up and it's happening. Listen, what is Russia negotiating to sell to North Korea? What kind of ICBM? Supersonic. No defense. There is absolutely no defense against a supersonic missile. Why? How fast do they travel? Five times the speed of sound. You know what that is? 3,800 miles per hour. They'll go across the country in less than an hour. <laughs> you, there's no defense. There's absolutely no defense. The only nations in the world that have supersonic missiles are who? Russia and China. We don't have one. We don't have one yet. And we have no defense against a supersonic missile. Isn't that interesting? And, and now because... North Korea has aided Russia in this situation with Ukraine and resupplied them with all these, these shells and these firecrackers that they need. Now, Russia wants to return the favor and give them the technology for a supersonic missile. And Rocket Man over there, he's made no bones about the fact that what does he wants to do with it. What does he want to do with it? He wants to destroy the United States. And we become 
weaker and weaker and weaker. Every conceivable measure. Why? Because we turn from our God. And our enemies have become... What's new? So don't listen. And I, I say this. What did I say on Sunday night? Why did I tell you all this? Why did I tell you all this Sunday night? You remember? Why did I tell you all this Sunday night? Who's there Sunday night? Raise your hand. Okay, some of you. All right. Why did I tell you all this on Sunday night? To scare you so you couldn't sleep at night? Why did I tell you this? Make you aware. Prepare you. Listen, you need to get prepared mentally. You need to get prepared emotionally. You need to get prepared spiritually. You can't prepare physically. No, you can't. You can't. We can pull all of our resources and we can't insulate ourselves from what's coming. When God judged Israel, they had gold and silver heaped up on the streets. He said, eat it. Eat it now. What did they end up eating? Their babies. Because of the siege. We're eating up our children every day in abortion, aren't we? Aren't we? Now, I don't, I don't take any pleasure in telling you this, and I don't, I don't know of anybody that I'm listening to now that has a large platform that is sharing this truth. But it's the truth from my perspective. And if I'm wrong, please tell me. Tell me. Even if you want to tell me publicly, then, then email me, write me, text me, call me. We'll have lunch. I'll pray. You pay. <laughs> but I don't believe I'm wrong. I, I think the writing is on the wall. Belteshazzar. Yeah. And so, so it's my responsibility as your pastor, as the under-shepherd of Jesus Christ, to prepare you because in this world you will have... Oh, but cheer up. Cheer up. The end of this world is very near. Very near, and then there's a new kingdom coming. Praise God. And Israel will be resuscitated, born again, as if one came back. Oh, and can you imagine the blessing it'll be for us? He's saying, if they're cast away, is blessing to us. And we've been blessed so much. I understand the Israelology of the Bible, the Jewishness of my faith, and the more I dig into the Jewishness and the Jewish understanding of my faith, it just explodes with meaning and joy and fulfillment, peace. Can you imagine what the restoration is going to bring to all of us for forever and ever and ever forevermore? Wow. Amazing. Just amazing. Thank you for listening to this message from Community Chapel of Greenville. For more information and to find more messages like this, please visit to www.ccgreenville.org. It is our desire to see our Lord high and lifted up, and to see His people grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ.